Hallelujah. We're just going to talk about having a mother's heart today. And let's just start out by going to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, that you are a life giver. You're a life giver, dear Lord, but for every one of us, we have experienced something. God, and that is that we have had someone in our life that was not only willing to birth us into this earth, dear God, but that person was willing to nurture us. God, some were perf more perfect than others, dear God. Some made mistakes, dear Lord, but the reality is we're here because somebody took the time to love on us, to see to it that we were fed, and see to it that, that our, our boo-boos were, were bandaged and things like that, Lord. And we were cared for in such a way, dear God, that we're here as, as adults, as young people, dear God, but we're alive and well today because of the fact that we were nurtured. And God, we just, I, I want to thank you for that, Lord. And I just speak blessings over all of the mothers that are here today. I speak blessings over all of the mothers that we hold in our hearts and in our memories and God, I, I speak blessings over all those who will one day be a mother, dear God. And for those, Lord, who may not physically have birthed anyone into the earth, but God, but they've learned to nurture and to nourish and to strengthen others. God, I speak blessings over that heart, dear God. And I, Lord, I pray that you would be in this service and be in the words that are shared. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. You know, it's a, uh, a, a bit daunting to, to go back and to anticipate speaking on motherhood. And, I mean, where do you start? Where do you end? Maybe some of you are more uh, excited about the last part of that. <laughs> but uh, I decided I'd go, go to Eve. I'd start out with Eve. And I've got a few different mothers that are mentioned in the Bible that I'm going to share with you today. But we'll start out with Eve. You know, Adam was in that perfect place. And, and uh, in, in paradise, all the animals were there, all the trees and all the fruit and everything, and it seemed like the perfect man cave. But God said, it's not right for man to live alone. And he prepared a help meet for him. Now, we're not talking, supposed to be talking about wives here today. We're supposed to be talking about motherhood. But Adam named Eve, and what did he name? What did he name her? What does it mean? Mother of all living. Any of you ever had stress over your job description? How would you like to be named Mother of all living? Everyone who's going to be birthed into this earth is going to have to start out right here. And Eve, her name was. Mother of all living. Um, I remember Christopher, where's Christopher? Chris, right there. I'm sorry. You were right there just a minute ago. Um, when Christopher was just a little guy and he came to me and he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And I thought, oh, my goodness gracious. I'm going to have to raise the bar a little bit. You know, that's an intimidating thing for, for him to say that. And, and uh, bless you, Christopher. Thank you for that, sweetheart. Now that you know better. <laughs> Um, um, but Eve, I wonder what came into her heart when she realized that she was the only one who had the ability to birth, to give life to human beings here in the earth. And from her, do you realize that there was, there's only been one male person or one human being that ever lived that didn't have a mother? And that was Adam. Other than that, every 
How many people are alive today? Over 8 billion people in the earth, not counting all of those that have gone before, that have passed away. That a mother had to be a part of that equation in order for that life to be brought into the earth. It was one thing to conceive a child and, and to be involved in that process on the man's side, but it's a whole other thing to take that seed and, and, and nurture it and watch over it and to house and, and, and provide a home for that seed even before the birth and to carry it all the way through the labor and the intensity of that and then give birth. And it, that's just the beginning. There's years to come after that. and I'm not going to take the time to get into that now, but Eve had a tough job description, the mother of all living. A little bit later, we find even, even Hagar I know there's so many people I can touch. I'm not going to touch on everything. But it even, even Hagar was watching over her son Ishmael. And, you know, it says that she made an arrangement for him to, to find a wife. Now, where did she go? She went to Egypt. It, it may have not been the best choice, but she found him a wife out of Egypt. And we know that, that um, from, from Ishmael descended a lot of the nations there in the Middle East outside of that. But Isaac, who was a son of promise, his, his dad uh, sent the servant of the household over to uh, where Abraham's family had come from over in Haran area and went looking there. And uh, so Rebecca, they spoke over her when she, was, when she was getting ready to come back and be Isaac's. Uh, that's just an amazing story because um, that servant went over there and he was sitting there at the water trough at the well and when she came to, to get water, he asked her if he could have water if she'd be willing to water all of his camels. And she said, sure, I'll do that. And I'm thinking, you know, what person would water all the camels of a stranger and then say, look, we've got feed at our house. If they need food, we've got that. Anyhow, he had found an excellent uh, wife for, for his master's son. And so he goes to the house, and they're eating, and they wanted to know, before he would eat, he explained his purpose for being there. And the next day, he gets up and said, please don't delay my journey. I need to go back, and, and would she be willing to come with me? I mean, immediately, she is taking off and going to be the wife. And uh, when she left, uh, they, they spoke of her and said, our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Now, let me just say this, and this may be a good word for all of us. There's a lot of things that God purposes through you that he doesn't expect you to carry all of it out. He's initiating a process in you. She didn't have to birth millions. She just was the mother of millions. They were born through her lineage. There's a lot of things God initiates us and we find in Scripture that it's carried out through your lineage. So it was a blessing to see Isaac and Rebekah. How about Moses' mom? What kind of a heart does Moses' mom have that there she went through all the intensity of growing Moses within her, eating on his behalf to make sure that he was taken care of. There as a slave in the land of Egypt with all the intensity of what she was having to deal with, being a slave in a foreign land not even having her own place, and then after going through that process of birthing that child secretly, trying to, to sneak him into existence because of the fact that they were killing the babies. And then she, because of a loving mother's heart, takes that baby and puts him in a raft and floats him down the Nile River. 
not abandonment, but out of love. And then when Pharaoh's daughter finds that baby, we know the story that, that um, um, uh, I can't remember her name right now, but Moses' Moses's mom's, what's the name? Moses' mom's daughter. Mo Miriam, Miriam, thank you. Miriam is there and she says, look, I can find somebody to be able to take care of the baby. Can you imagine having your son, your daughter in your household and working with, uh, you know, cuddling and nurturing and feeding and changing diapers and all the things that go on with that? Nurturing that child, knowing that you're going to have to give that child up to another mother? What that would have been like for, for Moses' mom, but yet she did. It says, later when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And he was named Moses because they lifted him out of the water. We know that the scripture puts a high premium on the, on the father and a mother in relationship to the child. I was amazed when I was going back and looking at it this week how many times it stated, we know what the law said. It says in uh, Exodus 20 and verse 12, honor your father and mother and then you will live a full life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. It says in Exodus 21, 15, if anyone strikes father or mother, anyone who strikes father or mother must be put to death. We forget about that. Exodus 21, 17 says anyone who not just strikes, but says anyone who dishonors father or mother must be put to death. And the story doesn't end there. You can go down... Leviticus 20, 19 says the same thing. If somebody dishonors their mother and father, they must be put to death. Such a person is guilty of a capital offense. Deuteronomy 5, 16, honor your father and mother as the, as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a, a long and full life in the land God has given you. It even says in Deuteronomy 21, it says, suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother. It's not just saying dishonoring here. It's just saying stubborn and rebellious. It says, even though they discipline, in such a case, the father and the mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the own gate. The mom and dad taking their own son because they're disobedient. And in the scripture, there's scripture after scripture in the Old Testament where if a child, one place struck them or, or is dishonorable or even rebellious to the parents, that the command was that that person was to die. God wanted there to be due respect given. There's another mother that's outstanding in the Bible, a mother that didn't have any children. She had not had any children. She was feeling like there was some type, you know, there, she was being mocked because she didn't have any children. And, and Hannah cried out to the Lord there, and Eli blessed her, and she conceived and bore a son. But when that son was old enough, she brings the, uh, Samuel, little Samuel to the temple and dedicates him to the Lord. Can you imagine just a little boy like that and giving him to the Lord of the temple? And it says that every year she made a, a little coat for him and would bring it to him at the temple when she came to visit him, when they came to sacrifice. There's an, a story in 1 Kings chapter 3 that speaks about a mother's heart. 
It's actually a story that's talking about the, the wisdom that God was giving Solomon, how Solomon had prayed. He said, look, I'm just, I'm just like a child here, and I'm taking the throne. God, of all the things that you could give me, Lord, I need wisdom to know how to lead the people. And God was honored by that. And the, the passage very quickly follows with a story. It actually says that there were two prostitutes. Both of them gave birth to a child in very close proximity but one of the ladies, isn't it interesting that the Bible actually talks about this, that describes a story about two prostitutes? But sitting there, the one mother had rolled over on her own child while she was sleeping and killed the child. But before the second mother had awakened, that mother took her baby and put it in bed with, with mother number two and took the living child and mother number one took the child to herself, and so she switched babies. And so when the, the second mother woke up, here she was lying with a dead baby, but she could look into the face of that child and know it wasn't her child. And so they ended up going before the king, and the, the, both of them were claiming that, that it was their child, and how's he supposed to know? So he commands that a sword be brought, and he says, look, just... Let's just take this baby and, and cut it in half and give each of them a half. And it says, it says in here, it said, Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child, please don't kill him. And the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Can you imagine that? But the one mom who was the true mom, she was willing to give her baby up just to make sure that he could live. Don't kill the child, but give him to the woman. So the, the king knew exactly who it was, and so he turned around, he told the, the, the soldiers, don't kill the child, give it to the mother who wants him to live. She's the real mother. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, there is story after story of mothers who through great hardship and difficulty demonstrated their love and showed their love and even great compassion that Jesus had on them when he saw them in difficulty. One situation um, that I really love is the situation where God prophesied over a lady who had no children. She birthed a child and then he got out working in the field with his dad one day and apparently was, was stricken with heat stroke and he died and the mother left to go find the prophet, and when she was greeted, or when she was greeting, they asked how she was doing, because here she has traveled a great distance and come to him, and she says, it's well. All is well with me. And there her child is lying sick, but she was confident of the fact that God was going to do something on her behalf, that God had not given that child um, in vain. But then, then she says this, she said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not go home unless you go with me. She was not going anywhere until she had an answer. She was not going anywhere until she saw that hope fulfilled. And so Elisha went, we know the story, he went out there and he, he lay on the child and, he, and when he prayed for that child, that child came back to life and he was able to turn around and give the child back to his mother. A few years later, there's a real interesting thing that you, I, I, had, I had forgotten about this, but a few years later, the prophet spoke to her and said, look, said, there's a famine coming in the land and it's going to be here for, for seven years, so you need to get out of this area. So she went down to the Philistine area with her family and, and went down there 
and uh, they lived there for, for seven years. Well, after seven years, her property, her land, her home, all the things that were a part of it had been dispersed and taken over by other people. They're not coming back. They've gone down to the Philistine territory. But Gehazi, who was the prophet's servant, was talking to the king, and he was standing in the court they're talking to the king about the story about this son who had died and was resurrected and came back to life. And while he's in there talking to the king, here comes this, this mother into the court asking for her, for her, she wanted to ask for her land to be restored, for her property to be restored. And while she's in there, Gehazi said, look, king, here's the lady I'm talking to you about. I learned a term not too long ago, and I don't even know if I've shared it with you yet, but it's been a blessing to me, and so I want to bless you with it. But have I told you about prevenient grace? Have I talked about that here? Not yet. I've talked to so many different people about it. But when I was traveling to Alabama, I was listening to a minister, and he was talking about prevenient grace. What is the prevenient grace of God? Prevenient grace comes from the same root word where we get to prevent. Except prevenient is not a negative sense of the word prevent. It's a precede aspect of the grace of God. Okay? So God's prevenient grace means that when we're not even mindful of anything going on, the grace of God's already at work on our behalf to set up circumstances and situations, to put things in place, to prepare them for us when we get there. So in this case, there was a situation where there was a whole lot of reason why this mother could have questioned about the death and the loss of her son where there was not even, she wasn't even going to lose her son. There was a miracle done that even down the road, God used that dire situation that they went to in order to prepare them when they came back to be, because of the miracle that the king had been told about, and then she walks in in the due time when the conversation's going on, the king made a declaration and made sure that everything, her house, her land, her possessions were all restored to her. The grace of God had gone before her to make provision, to see to it that it came back to her. God's good. When God puts on your heart to go do something, trust the fact that God's already walked before you in it. When God gives you an idea or God tells you to say something to somebody, since I heard that word about God's provenient grace, I'm realized I don't have to be the first person to talk to that person. I don't know. God may have had five people talk to them already. God may have ignited something in their heart already, and all I'm doing is coming to water the seed that's already there. You may be the planter. You may be the water. But God's already, God is jealous over people's lives. God wants to see good come to them. We are just a part of his process in their life. God's already been working. His grace has already been working. And in situations where you don't understand what's going on or you don't know where the answer is, trust the fact that God's already been there for you. God knows every situation you're going through. God's already been knitting together things to see to it that the answer's there when you need it. Trust him with your life. I love the fact that even God, in an unusual sense, because we always think of God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there's a, a place in Isaiah chapter 49 in verse 15 where God uses the example of a mother, 
God used the example of a mother to describe his relationship. He said, never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for a child that she is born? But even if that were possible, he said, I would not forget you. God said that he, he, his love is even more enduring. His love is even more enduring. He said in, verse, in Isaiah 66 and 13, I will comfort you in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. You ever had one of those little, oh, mommy, they wake up in the middle of the night and they're crying and, mommy, how often do they call out, daddy, daddy? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> said that. They said they need to. <laughs> Now, I love, to, I've loved to hear my kids call on daddy, and that warms my heart to hear that, but when there's comfort and when there's a boo-boo and a hurt knee or a scraped elbow, it's normally mama that they call for, and what does mama do? Mama doesn't say, get up, boy. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Does that hurt? I'm so sorry. Can I help you? You know? They know they're going to get comfort and compassion from the mama. Just get up. You're okay. You didn't hurt yourself. No, that doesn't happen. You know what's really interesting to me with regards to the importance of, of, of motherhood? Now, this is just fascinating to me, and, and I, I won't take long on it because I don't want to bore you with the details, but have you ever looked at the, the genealogy? Everybody excited? The genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1? No, you didn't. Okay. <clears throat> God had me study that genealogy one time, and uh, I wondered why in the world was I spending time doing that. And then we had this riveting discussion around the dinner table of the Vernelson House with all the young people who, who were there from Atlantic Christian College, you know, back then, uh, Barton now, but Atlantic Christian College back there. And I found, found myself in all of my earthly wisdom talking about the genealogy. And I thought, why in the world am I talking about this? But in that genealogy, there's mention of a few people that had less than perfect circumstances. There was a father-in-law sleeping with a daughter-in-law because that daughter-in-law had been abandoned. There were situations where there had been, uh, uh, there weren't married relationships. There was a prostitute involved in the process. There were people that gave birth they didn't come from the perfect lineage. Yes, in Jesus' lineage, and it is written and put on record. Don't tell me that God can't remedy hard situations. Don't tell me that God can't redeem your life and take you from a broken place and make something beautiful out of it. And God kept it in his record. But what's beautiful in that passage is that there are many times, several times where when it's talking about the lineage, it's talking about the, generally about the man that it's coming from, it mentions, and this person was the mother. That God made that an important part of the lineage of Jesus. And of course, it comes down and talks about Mary at the end. God didn't leave out even the hard parts. Look, none of us gloat and enjoy talking about the hard, difficult areas of our life. But don't be afraid of those things because God is, is the master at taking a mess and making a masterpiece out of it.
It's amazing to see transformation. I love the word. I love the word transformation. It is, it is natural for us. I'm trying not to tangent here, but I can't help it, so I'm going to do it. Look, we don't like conflict for the most part. Some people do. Chris, you, <laughs> you like conflict? <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't mind talking to someone straight when they need something needs to be... Um, but some folks don't like change. We avoid change. We're all about self-preservation. We want to stay, don't, don't hurt me, don't challenge me, don't confront me, don't... What if it's for our good? We should be willing to embrace change. And, and when, when challenge comes, if we, if we can rest in the Lord and know that if, if we're being challenged about something that needs to be changed, understand that it's for our good and learn to embrace the difficulty of change. It's amazing to me, the whole process of motherhood, to realize the transformation that goes on in, in a woman's body when she has conceived something inside there to be birthed, that there is a whole new factory process that goes on in the body, that the hormones change, the, the processes change, the function of the body changes and everything like that because there is a mission. They've been set on a mission, and that mission is to, to bring that life to fullness to where it can live and be viable on its own. It can be birthed. And all that transition, what they, they, they go through in order to give birth to a child. It's an amazing process. I have never, well, let me, no, no, I'm not going to say never. I'm going to say I learned to respect my wife in a whole new way when she birthed our first child. Because Cecile had always been this delicate flower. <laughs> she's she's cocking an eyebrow at me. I better tread lightly. <laughs> she'd always been this this sweet little person, and then I saw her birth a child. I'm like, you can wear the pants in the family, you know. <laughs> you know. And and uh, I mean, there were complications leading up to it. There were it was a hard journey. There was times when I was praying. I didn't know if I was going to lose my wife and the baby. But when the baby was born, and then she didn't say, it's enough. Maybe looking back. <laughs> no, but, but three, aren't you glad she didn't, Daniel? Three, three more times she gave birth. We have four in our household, four of our household, and now we're, we're adding more to it, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but what an amazing thing. I, I want I, I want to and there's something I want to get to. I don't want to get there too quick. There's an, another enduring story. It may have been a little bit embellished in the passion, but I believe the earnestness of it was there. But to see that that Mary's enduring love for her son. Not only did she enjoy the joys of childhood and raising the son. You know, when Jesus went to the temple at age 11 and there was the panic with Mary and Joseph when they're coming away from there and all the masses, I mean, all the people of, of Israel are moving away from the temple and they realized, I can't find my son. We went to Disney World a few years ago and I was in charge of the stroller and I had Daniel, a little guy, in the stroller and 
we came to the manatee exhibit. And I don't know what was so exciting about the manatee exhibit, but it just got exciting. And so we all went dashing in there to go see the manatee exhibit, and I parked the stroller. <laughs> and went in the manatee exhibit, and guess who it was that said, where's Daniel? Cecile looked at me and said, where's Daniel? I'm like, I don't know. She said, you had him? I'm like, oh my goodness. So we went running out there. Daniel's got a great view of the bushes. He'll sit in the car. What was he, three years old? Two, two years old? I left the boy in the cart. <laughs> Gotta love those manatees. <laughs> Daniel, I just want to say I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Mom remembered. But there's a beautiful picture of motherhood with regards to Mary because she observed what was going on in her son's life. The scripture talks about how she held things in her heart. That day she panicked and she got on to Jesus for not being with him in the temple. And, she, and he's like, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? He's 11 years old and already the call is there. And then it speaks about Jesus and he said that he returned with them and he was obedient to his parents. Don't you know who I am? No. He was obedient to his parents. And then it comes a time later on in life, and Mary's been holding this. I mean, an angel appeared and said, you will conceive a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, Jesus. And her whole life, watching this child develop, and seeing what's going on in his life, she's been holding in her heart, what, when, when will be the day? When will be the day? So they go to the wedding, and here at the wedding, they run out of wine. And she's like, you know, Jesus, we've got an issue in the kitchen. You know, can't you, can't you do something about it? And, and Woman, my time has not come. It's not time for me yet. But she just goes to the servants, and what does she say to the servants? Look, just whatever he tells you to do, just do it, okay? Just do it. She knew what was inside of him when he didn't even think he was releasing. And doesn't that a mother's heart? Don't you look at your kids and you see the things that they're doing, you see the things they're going to, but inside there's a hope and an expectation. You're looking at their life and you're anticipating what God can and will do through them. You see more for them than they can see for themselves at that moment. They still need to keep their room clean and, you know, you keep them straight, right, Sherry? I wanted to say that so my guys didn't think I was talking about anything. But I wouldn't do that. Um, but Mary watched his life. She prepared for the miracle there, and then she saw what God was doing. There were things that she didn't understand. There was times when he set things in order. But when it came time for him to die, she was there. I can't imagine what it was like for her to look up on the cross and to see her bleeding, dying son. His arms spread, and he can't wrap them around her anymore because they're nailed to a cross. And he's literally hanging there on the cross with the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's coming to the point where he's going to breathe his last. There's not much life left in him. He has the divide between heaven and hell straight.
stretched, and he's right there in that void, answering and filling the gap. And as his lifeblood's pouring out of him, he sits there and he glances down and he sees his mother, and he sees his disciple, and he says, Mama. <laughs> he said, Behold your son. And he looks at him, and he says, Behold your mother. And he's asking, Would you take care of my mom? Would you make sure mom's okay? And it said that disciple took her into his house after that day. But there, Jesus, in the midst of that, that bond was so strong that he was making sure mom was taken care of. He was watching out for her. I know that there's people in here, I'm mindful of the day. This is the first time you've walked this journey without having mom around. I lost my dad a few years and preached the Father's Day message right after that, and that wasn't easy, and I boo-hooed my way through it in front of all of you. But thank the Lord for a heart that's willing to give life. Thank the Lord for the testimony we have for the mothers. And I know that some did not have the perfect example for the mother, but you, because you're here, the testimony is that you had someone that bore you. There's someone that got you to the door. They may have not been given the tools from their life and experience to be able to nurture and nourish and strengthen you the way that they wish you did, but they probably gave you all they had. They didn't know any better or they didn't have the strength in themselves to do it. So we will bless that name. We will bless that memory. We will choose to honor. We will choose to say thank you and honor them. But as I was preparing and studying and contemplating and thinking about motherhood and thinking what it means to all of us, I'm going to tell you there's something that, that struck me. And it's regarding the body of Christ. So bear with me. <laughs> Look, when it comes to reaching the lost, we've had a, a baby daddy mentality. We want to visit and do our part and walk away and say, yeah, that's my boy over there. I had something to do with that life. But we haven't had the mentality of nurturing and giving of ourselves. The scripture says that it's a foolish farmer who goes out and plants a crop and doesn't prepare storehouses to receive. Because what good is it if that crop is out there and rots out in the field? Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about the Lord and how he came along and how he discovered Israel like a babe still in the, the, the birth fluid on the side of the road, discarded along the side of the road, and how God looked at this little baby on the side of the road and, and took that baby up and, and clean, cleansed her and he was talking about the children of Israel, but that whole mindset in the body of Christ, a lot of times we have been pleased and okay with just doing a spiritual duty of, of we're going to tell somebody and do or just going to say something to somebody, but we don't have a heart to take that person in and nurture them and strengthen them and sometimes wrestle through the poopy diapers and, and clean them up when they mess up and you know, walk them through the process. We, we've got to change our, our mentality because we cannot expect people to mature in their relationship with the Lord when all we're doing is just being a baby daddy. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? The where is that heart that says, you know, we went, when we were out the other day, we went to all those houses. Every house that we went to and we asked, we said, look, we're just, we were praying for someone down there. We felt like the Lord told us to go down the street. I'm not, I'm not telling you this is what you have to do. But if God tells you this at the, at the gas station, go for it. It'll be fun, okay? It's, it's okay if it's fun. Can we have fun doing God things? Every house that we went to, we said, look, we were just down there praying. We were asked to go pray for somebody, and since we were here, we thought, why don't we just see if somebody else needs some prayer? So we're just knocked on your door. Is there anything we can pray with you about? You know? And they said, yeah. Would it be okay if we prayed right now? Yeah. What's your name? So we found out the name, and then we would just pray. And, you know, if there was something specifically that, that they would mention, one person had, had just lost his wife two months ago. He's elderly, retired, and he's trying to figure out what life is now. He, he doesn't, you know, she's gone. So he's by himself. We had those teenagers that were fighting out there, and every house we went to, they were excited. There was one house that had... Two handicapped vehicles, and when we knocked on the door, he said, we don't believe in that. Now, he was the only one out of all of those houses that said no. And as we were leaving, I thought, they need prayer. They may not allow us to pray for them now, but, you know, we, if we get, if we get at, offended with our family members, we get offended with people in the church because they want a different color seat or a different color carpet or or they different kind of music or something like that. We find so many ways to divide, and we get offended with our family members and, and break fellowship. But then we get out there in the world, and somebody gets angry and cusses you out. Well, they're walking around, you know. I know where they're going, you know, or, or, or something like that. But all they did was just let you know that there's the need. What if we learned? Rather than being offended and walking away as though it really affected who we are, acting, does it really change us? Who do we have our identity in? It's in Jesus Christ. So what does it matter what that person says about us? I know what God has said about me. I'm accepted. I'm chosen. I'm set apart. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I know what God said about Does it really affect us and our identity? Are we that fragile and frail? that what that other person says crushes us. It doesn't feel good. I'm not going to joke with you. It doesn't feel good. They don't know who I am. They're just blah. They're just spouting off. Why? Probably because they're hurt and broken. They don't have what they need in Christ. They, they just expose the fact that they need what we've got. So what if our mentality changed and we said, well, we just found a need. What if we just chose to love that person that's being hateful towards us? And instead of, you know, you know, we cut them off in traffic or something like that. Not that y'all would do that. <clears throat> I said y'all. But, you know, and they chose to wave at us or, you know, or, or, you know, take the parking spot or something like that. You know, you, you have conflicts that go on in life. What if instead of reacting or having a conflict with them. We say, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I did the wrong thing. Or, you know, there, there's times when we're wrong too. My whole point is we need to have a nurturing mentality. Folks, we have the greatest treasure in all of the universe. We have it. And we need to share it.
there are many mothers who, when they discover that they're expecting, they both leap with joy and tremble at the same time. Oh, my goodness. I remember when I found out that I was going to be a dad for the first time, I thought, how are we going to take care of a baby? And especially at the hospital when all of a sudden you hold that baby for the first time and, and you fall in love in a whole other kind of way when you hold that baby and then you realize, they're going to send this baby home with us. <laughs> My dad made the, the carnal parenting and husband failure. One of the very first nights that my older brother had been home, he was crying in the middle of the night, and they had had a hard time. I think he must have had a sore stomach or colicky, as I used to say. But he was crying, and, and my dad in the middle of the night half asleep. My mom had been up trying to feed him and change the diapers and rock him, and you know, it just was going on and on. But mom was up, the one taking care of. And in the middle of the night, dad, in an attempt to help out, and, and help remedy the situation. He said, honey, can't we just take him back to the hospital because they know how to take care of him there. <laughs> my mom was hot. You mean I don't know how to take care of my baby? <laughs> you know, when God gives life, when he entrusts life to you, he doesn't just entrust the joy he entrusts the process. A lot of us want to, we, we enjoy the aspect of conceiving or initiating the life in somebody, but we're not committing ourselves to the process of discipleship and nurture and strengthening and teaching and raising and helping when they mess up. But God loves that person. And a part of our witnessing and evangelizing and a part of our reaching out to somebody should also be that we're coming alongside and putting our arm around them and saying, we love you. Welcome to the family. What needs do you have? How can we help you? What can we, how can we help you live a better life? How can we help you grow in the Lord? How can we strengthen you? But that puts a demand on us as believers. And a lot of times, believers, we want to come to church and do the church thing and then go home. Or we want to say a good word to someone and feel like we've been obedient to the Lord and then we want to go home. But we're not committing to a relationship. But that aspect of God's nature, that aspect of what is vital to mankind is also vital in the body of Christ. I asked the question a few months back, but it's come to mind this week. You know, one of the things was we got out on the street and I had people say, now where's your church? And they say, on what time does church start? I don't see any of those people here today, but that doesn't mean they won't be here. So what do we do when 30 new people show up at church? What do we do? Good to see you. Shake your hand. See you. Bye-bye. Have a great life. Have a good week. Are we willing? I mean, folks, I'm appealing to your heart. Will you nurture? Will you Mother, will you raise his children? Will you embrace them? Will you clean the dirty diapers? Will you get up in the middle of the night when they have need? 
if they come in here disabled and, and broken and beaten because life has been, I'm talking about figuratively, when they come in here and they're not whole because life has torn them apart or they've been so crippled and broken because of their circumstances, are you willing to help nurture and love in the imperfection and take them into your heart as he's taken them into his heart? And we're going to say, God, we don't, we don't like that kind. They're not the, the right kind for us. We don't want to have to work that hard. Look, I mean, they could do blood tests now and determine if a child is Down syndrome or not. And they have a remedy if you've conceived a Down syndrome child. But I've never known anyone who raised a, a Down syndrome child that regretted it because there's an unlimited supply of love from a Down syndrome child. They will hug you. They will love on you. So what if God sends us people that aren't perfect? Do we only take the perfect ones, God? We only want them that are going to grow to a certain height. I'm glad that wasn't my category. We only want those that, that act the right way, that talk with the right kind of language, that they fix the hair the right kind of way. What kind of people are you willing to receive into your home? What kind of children are you willing to receive into your household? Are you willing to love those that he loves? Are you willing to take in whatever child God sends our way and nurture and love and embrace? Don't expect them to come in here mature. They're going to have to grow. See, we've got a dilemma. That's this. I've been crying out to God and say, God, I want children. I want you to fill this house with babies. I want you to send them here. I want people that are needy. I want people that are broken. I want people that we can see God get in there and rearrange their life and put them all back together. I want to walk that journey with them. Can't we do that? Can't we see God change lives and change destinies and set people's lives on the right path? But we've got to be willing to mother a little bit to nurture a little bit, to feed them until they know how to feed themselves. The day will come when they'll get it. They'll figure it out. It's just it's a journey. It's not an event. Having a child is not just the birth. It's the journey. It's the process. And let me say this. From a pastor's perspective, from a parent's perspective, if you don't raise them to maturity and you take them unto age of maturity without them becoming matured, but you haven't given them what they needed so that they're still dependent on you when they get to adulthood, we haven't done our job. We shouldn't have to have believers who've been in the church year after year after year after year after year after year that don't know how to get into the word and study it for themselves and don't know how to pray for themselves and don't know how to feed somebody else. Folks, we got to, look, your spiritual nurture, your daily bread is not the pastor's job. Did you get that? Open up your word. Do not be deceived by all the voices that are out there. You need to know God's word for yourself. Our ultimate goal as parents is not to raise children that can't live on their own. Our ultimate 
job as parents is to raise young men and young women to maturity that one day we get to rejoice in seeing what God's doing through their life and how their homes or their households are multiplying or how they're pouring into other people's lives and then they're, they're nourishing and strengthening other people. They're, they're advancing God's kingdom by nurturing and discipling and raising up young people for the Lord. Amen? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. But I want you to join with me in prayer. Would you join with me in prayer? Because I want to see souls saved. If we're not getting people into the kingdom of God and all we're doing is just growing fat in God's household by learning more and having a good time together, we're not fulfilling God's mission. We need to be birthing and raising children in God's household. Amen? Well, let's stand together. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Hallelujah. God, I thank you, dear Lord, for the people that you put in our lives, our mothers, dear God, and also those who have been willing to spiritually nurture us. God, those who showed up early on a Sunday morning because they had prepared a Sunday school lesson or a youth lesson, or, Lord, those who were preparing in advance to be able to, to strengthen us through the women's ministry or, or uh, you know, the men's ministry or whatever, dear God. I thank you for all the pastors and those that we were able to, the voices that we were able to go out there to hear. God, there's so much information available to us. There's so much available to us on the Internet, dear God, and through the television and through media and so many different kind of ways. There's no lack of it. But Lord, you, you said in your word that there's many teachers, but not many fathers. That goes for mothering as well. Lord, there's not many fathers. There's not many mothers. There's not many people who, a lot of people want to just stand up and, and talk about it, but they're not willing to get out there and do the ministry. So God, I want to pray right now. Number one, prepare this soil, the soil of our hearts, dear God. Whatever it is that needs to be stirred up, turned up, pulled out, removed from us, dear God, let it be. Let it be, dear God. Just loosen up this ground. Make us fertile soil. But then, God, Lord, within our reach here in this town, within our reach in our families, dear God, and wherever you have planted us, dear God, there are people that need the truth of your gospel. Without a doubt, dear God, there are people that are going to hell today because nobody was willing to share your truth with them. Or people that that one day tasted of you, dear God. They may have even said a sinner's prayer, dear God, but there's been nobody that was willing to nurture and strengthen them. So they are, are babies lying on the side of the road, wallowing in their blood, dying spiritually because nobody took the time to take them up and clean them and care for them and nurture them. We don't want to be that people. So God, I'm putting out a passionate cry today. Lord, would you give us babies? Lord, would you give us children in this house that need to be nurtured and need to be strengthened and need to be taken up and loved and held? And God, help us to be willing to endure the process with them, dear God. The late nights, the early mornings, dear God, the, the messy diapers, dear Lord, all the things that go along with parenting and with raising children. But God, we want you to be glorified and help us to bring believers to maturity, dear God, so they can continue the mission of winning the lost, dear God, and establishing the kingdom of God.
We don't have the strength for it in our own, dear God, but I know that you will bring your Holy Spirit alongside of us, and you have, so that we can accomplish this. And Lord, we will give you the praise and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, mamas. Thank you for the good example. Y'all be blessed.